for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Variety Special in all other categories. The HBO original series David Byrne's American Utopia brings the Talking Heads frontman's critically acclaimed Broadway show to HBO in a one-of-a-kind film directed by Oscar and Emmy winner Spike Lee. Recorded during its late 2019 to early 2020 run at Broadway's Hudson Theater in New York City, Byrne is joined by an ensemble of 11 musicians, singers, and dancers from around the globe, inviting audiences into a joyous dream world where human connection, self-evolution, and social justice are paramount. Now streaming on HBO Max. We're here with Halston executive producer Ryan Murphy and executive producer and director Daniel Minahan on Crew Call. Dan, tell me about you. You got access to the book and you and Christine were trying to make it for quite some time as a feature. What what were what were the challenges? The biggest challenge of trying to tell the Halston story as a feature was trying to get it to fit into a 90 minute script and to try to avoid all the tropes and and cliches of a biopic. And so when we thought of it as a limited series, it opened it up, you know, because to tell the story in 90 minutes, you'd have to rush through it. You'd have to do all these sort of general things that you don't need to do in a limited, where you really have the time to go into it in depth. Now, Ryan, news, you sold a screenplay. You see your article in the trade and it's right next to news of the Halston project. <laughs> this yeah. is some time ago. Yes. And you're like, I want to be a part of this. When did you become a part of it? How did it how did it finally come to you? Um, it was interesting. You know, I had always loved the story of Halston and um, Dan and I started working together on some things, specifically um, the assassination of um, Versace, that project. And when, once we got to the end of that, um, Dan started talking to the person who runs my company, Alexis, about it. And then they came to me and said, would you be interested in this? And Ewan McGregor was attached to it at the time. And I said, are you kidding? Yes. I love it. And I felt like it was an interesting full circle moment. And, you know, it was sort of right when I started my Netflix deal. So I was sort of, you know, experimenting with the different things that I wanted to do. And I'd always wanted to do, to do something after Versace and fashion. And I felt that Halston was the perfect one. And, you know, of course, Christine is a legend. I love dance directing. I try and get him to direct everything that I do. So, um, we just sort of marched in and they said yes and we were off and it was a very you know difficult process because we had to stop and start because of covid um it was it was tricky but you know i think we all of us particularly dan and i grew up with halston the legend of halston you know we were kind of we were kind of just too young we we both of us missed that studio 54 era 
And it had a lot of romanticism in our lives. Like we long to be those people and hang out with them. So that's how it all came together. And it was just a joy, you know. You're from Indiana, Halston's from Indiana. How did you see a lot of yourself in him? You know, the thing about Halston that, I, that I've always loved, and I love, I love the same thing about many pop culture figures, you know, Madonna, for instance, I've also always loved. And I love that idea of you create the person you want to be. You know, and when you come from a, a state like Indiana, where there's a lot of cornfields and a lot of, you know, religious bigotry when I was growing up, I was an altar boy, you know, I was constantly being told that I could not exist in the world, that I would be hated or killed or died. So I did what Halston did. I moved, you know, went to the big city and, you know, with 50 bucks in my pocket and, and tried to be something in the world. And I always loved that story of how he escaped and you know started off and did the same thing as many people have done particularly many gay people you know you you flee persecution and harassment and you find your own community and the thing that i loved about the halston story was it's not just the story of halston it's the story of halston and elsa and liza and joe and victor as they create a community and create something together. And I really related to that idea, as I know Dan did. So, Dan, why was Ewan the best person to play him? It's interesting. He kind of, he has this incredible body of work behind him. And when, uh, when Christine suggested you, and she had made uh, Velvet Goldmine with him, when she suggested him, it made perfect sense to me. And I went back and I rewatched, you know, his body of work. And I thought, oh my God, this guy has the chops. He has the star power and he, he has the elan that Halston had. And uh, I had this meeting with him. He's the only person that I met with on this. And I really, really looked at him closely and it was incredible. I mean, it's really remarkable, the likeness of, uh, you know, between the two men and, um, I just knew that he would be able to, to do it. I mean, I thought the work that he did on Fargo was remarkable. I always think his dialect work is incredible. And I needed somebody who was fearless and always approached, you know, difficult material, you know, with verve, you know, and that was Ewan. Can you tell me about his preparation for mm -hmm. Yeah, our first meeting was a big show and tell where I brought 20, 20 years worth of research materials and photographs and books and, and even a Halston gown. And we looked at it together and he was really fascinated by it. And Ewan gets a lot from photography. He's very inspired by uh, looking at photographs and Halston just happens to be the kind of person who is photographed constantly. There are thousands of photographs of him. Um, photographs were really important. We found these videos, Ewan and I went to the big Studio 54 exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum, which had a lot of ephemera, but they had these Warhol T, Andy Warhol TV video interviews up. And one of them was with Halston and he really wanted to see that. So we got the Warhol Foundation to send us those. And not only did they send us the story, the cut story that went onto TV, but they also sent us the, the raw footage. And that was really useful to him because he got to see what Halston was like when the cameras weren't on or when he thought the camera wasn't on. And those kinds of things were really important. He did a lot of work with a dialect coach. We would read through every script together. 
page by page in a page turn on and get to hear the dialect as he was working on it. And uh, I think the big moment for him was working in the, the costume department with all the seamstresses and tailors. That was really, really important for him. So he, he completely immersed himself. And the funny thing is when he, we had Halson's tailor make his clothing. So he made the same man who made his, his suits and, and, and uh, personal clothing made these trousers for him, these special pants that were made of two pieces of fabric, no pockets, a little tiny watch pocket, and something clicked and Ewan started to carry himself like Halston. He had, uh, he had no place to put his hands, but they were these really fitted slinky pants and uh, you know, I'll probably get in trouble for telling that story, but it was a big uh, penny drop moment for me. Yeah. Now, was Hall, for both of you, was Halston, was he the example to the rest of the fashion industry of what not to do? For example, um, well, I watched the, the Halston doc some time ago, and then I also recently watched the one on Pierre Cardin. And what's interesting is they both over, they both overbranded themselves but I believe the difference is Cardin did not sell his name. I guess he just yeah. licensed it. He was able to, until the day he died, um, maintain, maintain his brand. I mean, to me, a lot of these designers, Ralph Lauren, Calvin Klein, overbranding themselves, this is how they have to exist. Um, but was Halston, I mean, and Halston made a lot of money, a lot. Um, like I, one of the deals, I, I have to go back and check my notes here, but one of the deals was like in the billions, I think maybe the, maybe the JCPenney deal. But, but um, was it to you, to both of you, was he kind of like, I don't know, the sacrificial lamb of the, the fashion industry where they all looked at him and they're like, let's not do that. I think for me, he he definitely was, you know, I think the story of Halston is, you know, two things. One, it's a cautionary tale, you know, and Dan and I were talking about this in many ways, you know, Halston was the first influencer. He was also the first person to be officially canceled. And I do think that um, when you're a child of less you want more. So I think he grew up with that energy of always taking the yes, because the yes may, may stop. I also think he made a very understandable mistake, you know, with Mahoney, who he trusted and who was like the father figure that he never had. And he trusted him and he believed him. And so when Mahoney signed him and said, I'll take care of you forever, I'll let you be the artist and I'll be the business he was freed and liberated and that's when he had his great as career achievements i think and then to find out that suddenly you've been sold without your knowledge and your father figure is gone you know that's kind of the beginning of the end for him you know andre leon tally says that you know halston was like icarus he just flew too close to the sun and burnt his wax wings and i think that's very true and it's a very modern lesson on um it's a, a very modern lesson on branding and for a lesson for all artists, which is don't sell much too much of your soul away because you're not going to be able to get it back. 
both literally and metaphorically, you know, and he built something and the tragedy was he lost it. And he did make a lot of money. He also um, had a lot of money taken from him, bad investments of people around him who used him in his time of need, sometimes when he wasn't that clear. So I think it's, um, and that's why I think it is such a magnificent performance from Ewan. And I think Dan directed it so brilliantly because it's, it's about something modern even though it's a period piece and you can feel that, I think. It has something to say. It's, a, it's making a bigger statement about the world we live in. It's not just a biopic. I love uh, how Joel Sch Schumacher, I was always aware that he was, he was you know, the early part of Halston's life, mm. but I love how you, you were able to dramatize that. And what was interesting was Halston turned to him and was like, okay, he saw that he was becoming, you know, he was getting into drugs and he's like, we can't have any of that. And then unfortunately that's part of Halston's demise. I'm wondering if you could talk about that. I just found that very interesting. Was it just the era? Well, I'll just talk a little bit and then pass it to Dan. You know, I knew Joel Schumacher a little bit, tiny bit through the years. And I always loved his movies when I was growing up. And he only ever said good things about Halston even though Halston fired him, he thought Halston actually had love for him and tried to get him help and indeed helped eventually get Joel get off, you know, hardcore drugs. And I always loved the idea that um, Joel spoke so beautifully about Halston. And the thing about the story is, you know, at the end of the, and we say this, that, you know, Victor at one point says, you know, cocaine is a vitamin, isn't it? Like, and that was true everywhere in fashion and Hollywood, you know, back in the 70s, I had friends who worked, for example, on that show Soap, and they used to talk about in the writer's room of Soap, there would be, you know, a lot of coke if you wanted it. I just think that it was the culture. And I think it changed. Yeah. Dan, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I, I knew Joel a little bit too. When I, Joel, uh, when I started this project, I interviewed him several times, and he was very candid about you know, his drug use, but also the idea that Halston surrounded himself with this family of creative people. And that, you know, there were a lot of other people, other designers, that the other um, actors, actresses, people were all drawn to him. And I think, you know, Joel was one of those people and he went on to do great things. And he was very candid about all of it. He was, he was candid about Halston's, um, uh, loyalty to him, which was a, which is a very a, a beautiful thing I think that comes through in the show. Uh, I think Rory Culkin's performance is so fantastic, um, and it really humanizes Halston in an in a important way. It's also like a show about you know excess, about being consumed. I, I think it's a show about someone who had a bottomless black hole in him who, who, because of his childhood and the pain that he experienced there, could never really sort of feel good enough about what he had done. So he kept doing more and more and more. And that, that was not just about his career. That was about, you know, the nightlife and staying out and doing drugs. And again, a cautionary tale, but also, you know, a tragic one. I always think like, wow, you know, AIDS took so many people from us and all of those people, um, 
and they all died around the same time. I'm working on a Warhol documentary right now that sort of, you know, 55, right at the height, 55, 56, 57, right at that, you know, there was another 20 years of work we could have seen from Halston and he would have reinvented himself. So the combination of the drugs and HIV, it's just, uh, I think, a tragedy. And I, and I write a lot about HIV in, in my career. And I do it, you know, because I think it's important for people to know. I think, you know, one thing that I've loved about Halston, just what I, how I love the normal heart, is young people watching this story and seeing, you know, how much we lost as a culture. And, I, and that's important. To, to me, in many ways in my career, I feel like a bit of a historian, you know, telling these um, buried tales that um, we think are forgotten, but when you put them out in the, in the sunlight, you know, they're just beautiful time capsules of a life that should have gone on longer and, you know, it's sad. That always gets me, it makes me emotional thinking of all the people we lost. Dan, did you interview Liza? Like, who else did you interview? I, I didn't interview Liza. Um, Ewan did have a nice meeting with her before we started the project. And uh, she was very curious about it. And they had a great, a great time. Um, I interviewed uh, David Mahoney, Michael Lichtenstein. And those were two, two of the people that were involved with Norton Simon in the business. Um, a lot, like quite a, quite a few, you know, people came forward and were willing. Like a lot of the Halstonettes, which were interesting, they were interesting to talk to just to hear about how he worked and how he treated, you know, his models. Um, they Dan, were also, you also interviewed Halston's brother. Yes, I interviewed uh, Robert Froek, who who was, uh, you know, he was curious about the project and he wanted to make sure that it wasn't going to be exploitative. But he, you know, I, when I talked to him, I wanted to talk to him about his their experience as boys growing up in Indiana, and um, that was very illuminating. Um, has Liza seen the the series yet? And have you heard from her? Um, Not that we know of. No, it's interesting. You know, I, I'm friends with, and I won't name them. I'm friends with people who are close to Liza, and obviously, you know, she was so kind to to you and. And that was, you know, we'll never know what happened there because they both have kept it private. But we, um, we made very sure, I think, in the shooting of the show, that that friendship was front and center, and that you really did see that it was almost like a love affair. And I wanted, and I'm sure Dan felt the same thing. I wanted us to be very kind to Liza because I think she deserves that. And so when we finished the show, through many people who were close to her, we sent it and we wanted her to see it because we thought that, you know, she would would love it. I think she would have loved Krista's performance, which is just sparkling and magical and emotional. And she, um, people, the people around her watched it and loved it and said, Liza, let's, we'll sit down on the couch and watch it with you. And she said, no, I don't want to see it. I don't want to, I don't want to go back. I just want to, I just don't want to do that. So, you know, it's a very personal thing. I think she, you know, loved Halston and just it was too painful for her to revisit I think that relationship in that time and so we had to respect that but what I was buoyed with is that the people around Liza um, really loved it and loved Krista's performance love what Dan and Ewan did and so 
It's as close as we could get, you know. And I hope one day people who are around her say, we keep asking her every day, is this the day you're going to watch it? So maybe <laughs> maybe my dream, and I'm sure Dan agrees, is maybe one time, a couple months from now, maybe she'll dip her toe in and feel safe enough to revisit that time in her life. I mean, Krista is fantastic in this. I mean, yeah. how did, I mean, I know, I know <clears throat> she has a resume, but how did you know, did she, did she read for it? How did you know that, when did you know that she could slam dunk this? I mean, she's fantastic. Our, our, oh, go ahead. No, Dan, Dan is the one who found uh, Krista and came to me and said, you're never going to believe this. Watch this. And I did. And I was, it was like sold, get her, sign her now. It was like an amazing moment when you, cause it's hard casting Liza Minnelli, but Dan found Krista. So Dan, talk about that. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah. Our super genius uh, casting people, Laura Rosenthal and Mary Beth Fox put her on tape and I, and I was just shocked. So before I even met her in person, I sent it immediately to Ryan. I said, check her out. He's like, meet her. <laughs> and I went and I met her and, uh, and, um, you know, we asked her if she would sing a song. And I'm trying to remember what song she sang, but we wanted something. It was maybe Embraceable You um, or maybe This Time. And uh, she sang a couple of songs and I just sat back in the room like, oh my God, she can really do this. You know, wow. she, and she has the same uh, kind of comportment, the same, you know, incredible little body, great big eyes, which are blue. We, we uh, put contacts on her. But um, the main thing about her is that she's very soulful. And I really loved the way she approached the character because, you know, it's a, she's the heartbeat of the story. And, uh, and I really feel like she captured that. And the thing that we decided early on was we weren't going to imitate Liza. It was important that the banter on stage was correct. It was important that she sang beautifully. But when she was, you know, off the stage and not on camera, we wanted her to just talk, you know, we, we don't know how Liza talks when she's not on camera. So, you know, that's Krista's voice. And I think it makes it, you know, there's nothing in between her and that performance. It's a really beautiful uh, tribute. Yeah, that to me is something that I love about Halston. You know, all of the actors in it, particularly Ewan and particularly Krista, also Rebecca, you know, spent a lot of time, private time, working and working and working and working on the voice, listening, so that by the time they showed up to set, it was just in their body, you know, because that's the key when you do something like this. You don't want it to seem like a Saturday Night Live skit. You don't want it to be an imitation because that turns to mockery. You just want it in your body. And then you as an artist want to interpret it. And I think they all did that so beautifully and they worked a long time on that like you and you know many reviewers have said it's the performance of his career and I agree with that and I think he worked on that like that did not come simple to Ewan and his dedication as an artist which is why everybody in town loves him so much and talks about him with such reverence is he's a real craftsman he really does the work David were you a fan of David Byrne back in high school? I was a huge Talking Heads fan. And there's nothing more awesome than as an adult to know that he had this live Broadway show. And if you missed it, if you didn't make it to New York City in time when it was running from 2019 to early 2020, 
HBO and Spike Lee shot it. And you can watch American Utopia, which is up for Emmy consideration this year. You can watch the actual concert on HBO Max. What did you decide to keep and omit when, when telling Halston's story? Mm. For example, I know there was a big trip to Tokyo, um, but you guys had in Versailles, which was a huge turning point for him and for American fashion. Um, but could you talk about that? Were there certain things that you wanted to include, but you couldn't? I don't know that we didn't want to. I just sort of felt that in the writing of it, you know, when you do something like this, it's like, what are the big emotional turns? You know, Versailles was, I mean, meeting Liza was one, going to Versailles was one, um, creating the perfume that gave him the cachet and the power to do what he did was one, the excess Studio 54 was one, and, you know, HIV was one, you know, and that's the thing about Halston's life. If you think about what we dramatized, we really dramatized an amazing 10 year run. You know, really the heart of our show, it was spilled a little bit longer than that, but I would say from like 69, 70, all the way to sort of 82, 83 is where the heart of our show ran. And I think that's the best way to do something like this. You, you pick, you know, you only have so much time, you know, our order was for five episodes. So, yeah, I mean, we could have done the, the trip, as you said, the other trip, but it would have felt to me sort of repetitious because we, we had so many plane scenes in the Versailles episode, but you know, that's the thing when you're doing someone's life, you know, it, it, it is an edited life. It is, you dramatize events to show, the span of what they accomplished. So we did have to pick and choose. And it was hard too, you know, because we also had to do it in COVID. And to Dan's credit, you watch those Studio 54 scenes, you you would, would not know based on the way that he shot them and with the special effects that you were only allowed to have a sort of, you know- 28 people. 28 people in a room. So it was very technically challenging. And at one point when we did shut down for COVID, knowing that we had that to go, we all had a conversation like, can we even do this? Does it even make sense? But we decided that we loved the Halston story enough that, and you know, it had taken 25 years, you're, you know, to get it made, you don't want to leave it standing up on the altar. So we kind of all dug in and said, yes, we want to, how do we do it? And Dan figured it out. And so, you know, one thing is, I mean, the sets are just absolutely gorgeous from from Halston's apartment to uh, I mean, obviously, it's it looks like the, the office looks like down to the T, you know, yeah. from the color to everything to his desk. Um, can you can you talk? Can you talk about that? I mean, here's the thing in the scenes where it's just him designing, you know, early on and early on, like episode one, two where he's showcasing the models and he's making, he's making uh, the dresses. Even the designs of those rooms are gorgeous. What was there? I'm just wondering, did you guys take a seventies look and just turn it a bit on its axis? 
Well, no, we should talk about that. But I mean, the one thing I will say is, you know, when making the show, I've gotten so many emails and calls from people who actually asked to be anonymous, who were in those rooms with Halston, who were at his first atelier, who were at Studio 54, who were at Olympic Tower, who were in his townhouse. And they're like, I felt transported. Like, that's what it was like. It, it looked that way. It felt that way. So I give all the credit to Dan and our incredible production designer. But that to me was the stamp of approval that we did get it right because the people who knew Halston, who lived with him for that decade, in some cases did not know they were sets that we built. They thought they were in the real place that we had just dressed it. But Dan could speak deeper on that. Yeah, it was it was really important to us that that the sets were exacting because the sets were part of Halston's creation. You know, he was a complete world creator from the way people dressed to the way they they wore their hair to the lighting and, and the design of his rooms. So we took our cues off of Halston and Mark Ricker, our production designer, was was really, really vigilant about it. I mean, the rooms, some of them were actually to scale of, of the actual spaces. The uh, the townhouse is a house built within a house with a, he built a sunken living room. He built it all out. He put that floating staircase and it's an iconic interior. You know, it was important to me that these were really exacting because it's the story of a genius who has it all taken away. And I thought we really needed to demonstrate his genius. So that that's why we were so vigilant about it. And the Olympic tower showroom was so realistic that every time we broke for lunch, I would walk into the elevator. And of course it was just a wooden box. It was the silliest thing, but it was so convincing. You really felt like you were in that space on the 17th floor of, of the Olympic Tower building. And I love how you ended this. I mean, it wasn't just, I mean, yes, we learn in the placards that, that he dies, but yeah. I just love how he's in the car and he's just on the coast. Yeah. It's just, it was just a beautiful way to end. Did, did you always have that ending in mind? Um, no, you know, what was interesting is we didn't, <clears throat> I have, I felt from the beginning working on it, you know, with Ian Brennan and Dan and I talked about it, you know, so many times um, when you're doing stories, particularly about gay men who die of AIDS, and I've done many of them, you know, it ends in the scene with the hospital room and it ends in tears and it's that. And what I felt from the beginning, and I said this to Dan was, you know, I really want to set, and I know you and felt this a lot. I, and I think I speak on behalf of Dan, we really wanted to end reminding the audience of the celebration of Halston and how he changed the game. And so I always knew that, you know, we were gonna have the feeling. And when I heard that he, in the last months of his life, you know, rode up and down the Pacific Coast Highway in that fancy car with the chauffeur. I thought, wouldn't it be great as he's doing that, that he reminds us of those moments of triumphs. And then Dan and I together came up with this idea of like, what if he's remembering his career and it's sort of like a fashion show? So, you know, Dan brilliantly staged that. And of course we have all those amazing costumes and it was, um, it was a, it was a, it was a powerful, optimistic way to celebrate a life. I felt I wanted it to end up with the audience saying, 
wow, he really did change the world with his talent. That's what, and that's what that scene is about to me. And it's triumph, it's a triumph. I wanted to end on triumph. And when we were writing it, I kept writing that word on the board on, on little posted pads, triumph, triumph. And, you know, Alexis found that song. And I remember when Dan and I first heard that song, we're like, we were like, was that right? But then it was so emotional. It just grows on you. And, you know, and so many men who died of HIV did die unloved, alone, and underappreciated. And I certainly feel Halston did. So I wanted to go back to that feeling of sending him love. Was in fact Persephone his penultimate? Yes, it was one of the it was one of the only things that he was allowed to do in the in the um, draconian contract that this company had owning his name. He was not allowed. He had an extreme non-compete clause. And the only thing that he, he did, it was sort of a loophole, was to design theater costumes. And, and he really did do that. He was a great benefactor of Martha Graham's. Now, just for those listening, Halston now, the brand still exists, but it's like, you know, at one point Harvey Weinstein made a go at it. Uh, and then Sarah Jessica Parker, I think, was a face for it. Could you tell everyone what Halston is like now? I think Halston, um, I actually like what they're doing now. You know, like I feel that that brand, you know, is celebrating Halston, you know, and what he did and trying to reimagine it in a new way. And, you know, I think what's fascinating is, you know, we worked with them on doing sort of a bottle collection because they love the show so much. And I think that, What's interesting is I'm, I don't know about how you guys are feeling, but I'm feeling this in the culture. Like I wish studio four was there now after COVID, like I want to go out. I want to dance. Um, I think a lot of people are feeling very celebratory. There's a lot of seventies nostalgia, which was kind of the last big party. Um, an era of that rather. So I think Halston, the brand now is sort of doing clothes and I've seen a couple of their new things that are celebrating that sexy want to celebrate and get out into the world. So I think, I think it's um, wonderful what they're trying to do. And you know, they're, they're pulling a lot of looks from the archives and putting twists on them. I think, I think it's great because you know, there's so many great brands throughout history that were led by a great artist and then the brand suddenly just dies. And I like they're, they're keeping the dream of what Halston was alive. And I think he would, he'd be mad he didn't know his name, but I think he'd like the, the methodology of what they're trying to do. Um, Studio 54, is there a series in you, Ryan? <laughs> it's funny that you say that because um, Yes, we've recently, I don't even think Dan knows this, but of course I would want him to do it. We're going to do Studio 54 as a season of American Crime Story. So, oh, oh, as a season? As a, as a season. Oh, wow. Because, wow. you know, I've always, you know, you can tell in my work that I'm obsessed with that era. That's when I was a child. You know, I was in Indiana getting the Liz Smith column in the Indianapolis Star and reading about it. I'm like, oh, I want to go there. And um, so 
And I, I love what it's about. I love that time and place, but I also feel like, you know, it's a story of excess and it's the story of two guys who had a dream and took the dream too far and paid for it. You know, and I love Ian Schrager's work um, and think he's a genius. And so that's a story that I'm like, it's an interesting story to tell through the prism of American crime story. Wow. What's next for you, Dan? Uh, right now, I'm I'm reading things. I'm I'm uh, recovering from having just completed Halston, but I'm reading things and and hoping to work on a on a feature in the coming year. What was the biggest challenge uh, about the whole COVID shoot? Uh, <laughs> like I know that there are pods and there are things like that. It it sounds like you used in the crowd scenes VFX, but what was what was the biggest was it just the biggest challenge for me was hearing each other and and that could sometimes be frustrating you'd say something to someone you'd say okay yes i need it to be red and they go okay green and they just you couldn't hear with masks and shields and what we did was um we finally got these headsets that had a little pack and we could communicate very clearly through all of it, especially when we were in big open spaces like Studio 54 or you know, exteriors. <clears throat> and that was our biggest challenge. But I have to say the thing that surprised me the most was the, the sort of um, stillness of the set. And we could really concentrate because as soon as the set was all lit and as soon as, as uh, we were ready for the actors, they walked in, they took their masks off and there was no one else on set, just me and them. Of course, I was wearing a shield and a mask, but but it was very um, it was really it was really fantastic and really concentrated and and uh, actually that surprised me about it. Mm -hmm. Ryan, um, I have a couple of questions for you before I go. Is that okay? Depends on the question. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I'm working on so many things. I mean, I have. Um, American Horror Stories, the um, spinoff, which comes out in July. Then I go into uh, Story, season 10. I have Impeachment um, that's coming out in September with Sarah Paulson and Beanie Feldstein and Clive and Edie Falco. And then the Chorus Line, when, when, would that, would, when would that happen, that series? I don't know. I mean, I'm just trying to finish. That's a genius idea. Yeah, That's it's a hard one to crack, but you know, um, you know, I, I, I'm going to start working on that, tackling that this summer. I think, trying to figure out, figure out if I can do with it what I want to do. I love you both. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What a genius, genius show! It's excellent. I, I, I wanted to see five more episodes. Me too. I, I mean, <laughs> Dan and I joke that like all we want to do is with is keep making episodes of Halston. Like, you know, I could do that my whole career and be happy. I miss them. I miss Halston. I love what you and did so much. I miss Elsa. I want to hang out more with, you know, Liza. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, they're all so amazing characters and how Dan created that world that you just want to live in. I agree with you. Like, I want to go back and do like, I don't know, Halston the prequel about Halston, like 
just it's just it's just such a wonderful world and those actors are so great you know well there's the whole the, the whole run up from from you know from Bergdorf and everything yeah the um is there another designer that has inspired you both that you may want to crack a story on I don't know Dan what do you think we, we've been we've been batting that back and forth but but um have, have just had our our heads down and finishing this but yeah, I mean, there are some there are some interesting stories out there. Yeah, you know, I, I always look at things like come in threes, right? So I did Versace and I and did Halston. The next fashion thing that I'm doing is I'm doing with her estate. I'm doing um, the story of Diana Vreeland um, in 1970 when she was fired from Vogue and about the idea of a woman of that age getting to have a, a you know a third act and how did she do that so i've been dealing with um her family and they're so lovely i've been you know and andre leon tally is a part of that project so that's probably my next fashion thing that i'm at least attempting it's a movie i'm trying to work on it but i love doing things that are about fashion because you know a lot of people think fashion is frivolous and treat it as such, and I don't. I think it's true art. And yes. I, it's it's how we live and it it's the time. And so I take it quite seriously and love doing it. And what I when I love I make something, what's so great is you know, I can send it to Anna Wintour and say, Did we do this right? Did, what do you think? <laughs> and she's she's always a great sounding board for me. And um, same with Hamish Bulls, you know, all that group over there is so great and supportive. So it was a really great thrill when I sent Dan's work to them and said, what do you think? And they just loved it. And they thought it was fantastic and loved what Ewan did and how brave he was. So that was a great day when I heard from them. That's I almost fainted when he told me he was showing it to them. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know, I'd be like. <laughs> nerve wracking, but you know, I think, I think you can always tell when something is made with love and I think you can tell by watching it that Dan and I and Ewan and Rebecca and Krista and, and everybody else that we loved them. We did. We loved them. And we wanted to show them in a very, I think, loving way. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great to talk to you. Mwah, Thank talk you. To again. Thank you. Thank this you. This like group therapy. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank right. you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro, and our podcast series has been produced by David Janov. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.